How are we doing? It's good to see you. I'm glad you're here. Um, there was a special guest worship vocalist tonight who was probably heard not seen because I forgot to turn my mic off after sound checks. So I'm just over there worshiping. So if, if you heard uh, something that sounded like a goose dying during Hark the Herald Angels Sing, that, that's me making a loud, joyful noise. So anyway, you're welcome. Hey, I'm glad you're here. Welcome to the creek. Welcome to the loft. Welcome online. And uh, I love that, that we're, we're almost to Christmas. So guys, it's time to get her started. You got to get your shopping started if you want to get it done, right? And so... Uh, uh, it, we're, you're going to be cutting it real close on shipping, and uh, so just get on it. But um, next weekend is our Christmas uh, Eve services. We're doing two on Saturday and four on Sunday, and uh, we are we're asking our core families to help us by serving and setting the table for people in our community who are coming. So we're we're asking our core families to help us with ushering, uh, with greeting, with parking, with with all the areas. And so if you would come and see us at the Welcome Center after this service, uh, we will get you plugged in, we'll get you signed up, and it will be an amazing, amazing time. And then the following weekend is uh, December 30th and 31st. We are doing services differently. We're doing those services completely online. We won't be gathering at the building. We are doing services differently. We're not canceling services. Uh, we're actually moving through an interactive process with our church family, and we're going to be working through a devotion guide that we have available uh, even this evening, and we're going to be handing them out at Christmas. But if you're going to be gone next weekend, grab one. Tonight and uh, January 1st, we start as a church together doing 28 days of devotion together. And Tuesdays, our staff will be fasting and uh, we're having the facility open during lunch. So if you want to come up at lunchtime at noon and pray with us, we would love to have you there. If you can't come at noon, uh, just pray where you're at at noon. Just skip lunch. It ain't going to be that good anyway. It'll be a whole lot more expensive than you care to pay for. But get in the presence of God and that'll be much more satisfying. Uh, We're in a series called Well Planned. And uh, this is moving through the, the prophecies of the Old Testament that lead up to the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus, who was born uh, unto us. And, and God's perfect plan provides the perfect gift. And uh, I said this a couple weeks ago, that a, that a great gift meets a great need. And Jesus meets our greatest need, and that is our salvation. That is our redemption and our reconciliation. That we are hopeless without this gift. There's nothing we can do to earn it. We can't work for it. We don't deserve it. But God in his grace for us gives us this incredible gift. If you've got your Bible, go to Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, we are going to tackle this, this chapter. This is uh, what theologians would call the Mount Everest of Messianic prophecy. Uh, because I believe it reveals Jesus and Mount Calvary. And so we're going to climb this mountain together. I'm going to read it all in context. It actually starts in chapter 52, verse 13. I'm going to read it all so we understand the context and kind of step back from the mountain a little bit, take it all in, and then we'll start the climb here. But it says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see, and that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. 
He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, every one, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that, be, that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that, that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make the many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Let me pray for us. Father, we come to you and we, we love your word. Your word is truth. And we thank you for your word. And I pray that as we get into your word that you would open up our ears to hear you. You would open up our eyes to see you. And you would give us hearts to truly understand, to bring your knowledge and your revelation into our mind and ultimately into our spirit, our heart, so that we can be changed by your word. We thank you for that. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a prophecy from God's perspective. Um, so when you read it, uh, this is several hundred years, about 700 years before Jesus is born. And you notice how he's already speaking in the past tense. It's because from God's perspective, this is already accomplished, that, that he is speaking it through Isaiah to the nation of Judah so that they would understand that the Messiah is coming. But this paints a different picture of the Messiah that we're used to. And, and, and Isaiah uh, describes him as the, the servant Messiah. And he says, this is, this is my servant. And even Jesus, and we know it's Jesus because you can connect the prophecies with, with the historical accounts of the New Testament, that in Luke twenty two thirty seven, 37, Jesus said, for this is the scripture that has to be fulfilled, and it's through him that it's fulfilled, that he was numbered with the transgressions, so the transgressors. He says, for what is written about me is true. So, so he goes back and he's referring back to Isaiah 53 when Jesus is revealing his identity and there's a revelation of this gift. And um, Isaiah 53 is referenced in the New Testament more than any other Old Testament chapter. And there's a lot in this. We could, we could, I could really do a series just on this uh, chapter 52 and 53, and we could spend weeks upon weeks upon weeks, and I would say we would never get to the, the peak of that mountain, as it were. But to break it down for you, how Isaiah 53 is, is, is broken up, uh, you look at verses 1 through 4, that will describe the life and the ministry of Jesus. 
And then you go into verses 5 through 8. That's going to describe his death. Verse 9, his burial. And then in Isaiah 53, 10 through 12, it is his resurrection and his exaltation. And I want to go back and I want to kind of unpack this a little bit because God sent us an incredible gift in this servant Messiah, but it's wrapped very plainly because it says that he was, he was not a man that we would look at. He was not a handsome man. He is not the, the image that so many of us have had with Jesus around us growing up. I mean, I remember growing up in the church and there was this old picture of Jesus and I, I thought for so long that it was that old that, that it was a real picture of him because, I mean, I was like, okay. But, it, it, I mean, it makes Jesus just look handsome and his cheeks are nice and, and, and rosy and he just, he, just, he just looks strong. But Jesus was not a man that we would even stop and take a second glance at. And God sent this, wrapping, uh, this gift wrapped in a, in, in a plain wrapping. There was nothing spectacular about it. You ever, you ever, I don't know if you do this, I do this. I judge gifts based on how well they're wrapped. And this week we took our staff out and we had a, a Christmas uh, lunch and, and we, we did a, a gift exchange. And, you know, and I, um, I watch to see who comes in with what gift. And, you know, and, and, and what I've learned is, is, is I know the personalities of our staff and I, I have learned that sometimes the most extravagantly wrapped gift is not something you don't want. I mean, it's not something you want. And so uh, you get into that. I mean, I mean, it was just like, but I start looking, okay, how did, did they wrap it nicely, especially the ladies, because that's going to be something that's going to end up in Heather's stocking, right? Because there's going to be candles in there. There's going to be gift cards for coffee or, or tea or Chick-fil-A or somewhere. So I'm just kind of, I'm just watching. And I, I drew the best number. I was number one this year. And I mean, they called foul, but I drew last. And all I told them was, and the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. <laughs> But I drew number one, which meant I got the last steal. So it was awesome. But I ended up walking away, just so you're wondering, I ended up walking away with an incredible pillow cover that is a sequin pillow cover that if you swipe up, it's just, it's just black sequins. But when you swipe it down, it is Nicolas Cage. <laughs> so on Sunday afternoons when I'm watching National Treasure... I can be really close to Nicholas as I'm napping to his movie. I love it. I love it. But what's interesting about Jesus is when we look at this, I mean, uh, the gift didn't meet the expectation of appearance. That Jesus wasn't, wasn't anything to look at. It just, it, 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 there was this expectation. And we have expectations about how we think things should look and how we think things should go. But, but when you look at this, listen, I'm going to go to verse 1 of 53. It says, um, for who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. And, and so when you look at this, the arm of the Lord is a reference to his power. So you automatically would start to think like, Man, when God sends his son, he's going to send his son in power. There's going to be something extravagant about this. It's going to be a spectacle, a big display. But it says, it goes on to say, for he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. The root out of dry ground means humiliation and weakness. So he's not going to look like what they expect. And Jesus, when he was born, was born into a wilderness of dry ground. I mean, Israel was a, it was a desolate place spiritually and politically. And Jesus was born in an area of Israel called Nazareth. And he was despised. He was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in, in Nazareth. 
And, and if you remember what the, one of the first disciples said about Nazareth when he said, hey, we've, we found the Christ. His name is Jesus. He is of Nazareth. And he responds, can anything good come from Nazareth? And his response was, come and see. And, and so as, his, as he grew up, there was, you know, he, wasn't, he wasn't attractive to draw the crowd, but his words and his work drew a crowd. But he wasn't anything to look at. He was just unattractive. And, you know, I mean, he didn't come to create a religion of beauty. I mean, he just says, I'm, I am who I am. You know, he's God in the flesh. And, and, and they treated him like a slave. They despised him and looked the other way. Look at verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and a man acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. So he did not look like the Messiah that they were, they were hoping for. And he was rejected because he didn't chase the things that, that so many people do. He didn't chase wealth. He didn't chase reputation. He didn't chase being served. And he, honestly, he's still rejected for those things today. Because we, we have this expectation of who he should be and what he should do for us. And remember that, man, we look on the outside, but God looks on the heart. And we, we constantly judge by appearances and we constantly size up the scenario based on the appearances. You know, you're already looking at the gifts under the tree and how are they wrapped, who are they from. And so we start to build these external things and create expectations around it. And so many times, the greatest things in my life did not look like something desirable that I would want. I mean, this, this idea of, of expecting God to make things look good all the time. I mean, somewhere along the way, we've bought into the, the myth that when we follow Jesus, when he's our Lord, our Savior, and our Messiah, our life should go well all the time. That everything should go our way. And I'm not talking just about the little fun things of like, I got a front row parking spot at the store today, so the favor of God is on me. I'm, just, I'm talking about when we step back and we look at the messes that are going on in our family. That when, when our family doesn't look, you know, the, the, the picture that goes out on the Christmas card that's all been photoshopped and been dressed up and everything, but in reality, the hearts behind every face in that photograph it was a bitter moment just to get that. And we try to put on this air that everything's good, that our life is perfect. You know, we, we, we want to create these, these moments in our social media feeds so that everyone can, can see how good it is going for us. And then ultimately, when we hit a crash and burn, we'll post the burnout, and, and we're trying to get people to help us in that. But in the reality, do we really expect God, what do we expect him to do with us? What do we, how do we expect him to make our situations look? I mean, it, it, we, we get this, this idea that I should be healthy, wealthy, and wise all the time. And it's just not the case of life. And Jesus was born into this life. He was born into our brokenness. He's the redeemer and the rescuer from our brokenness. But it's not always going to look the way we want it to look. I mean, when you look at Jesus' actions in the New Testament, he didn't show up and, and make things look the way that it should always look according to our perspective. And there's so many times that we, we step back and we, we look at God's gift and we think, I don't, I don't know if I want that because it just doesn't, doesn't look the way I want it to look. I mean, we'll look at a decision to even follow Christ or to walk in obedience with him. 
And if we don't like the way it's going to look, we'll, we'll choose to continue to walk our own path. We'll continue to walk our own disobedience. We'll continue to sit in our own mess because we don't like the way it looks to follow Jesus. Listen, there are days that, that it is, it's probably the hardest thing in my life to decide to follow Jesus because there's so many other easier ways the world says, here's how you can accomplish what you want to get done with your life. But that is not the way we're called to walk. God's gift didn't meet the expectation of appearance, and it didn't meet the expectation of performance. I mean, you look at this. This is verse 4 through 9. This is the heart of the gospel. I mean, this is the heart of the gospel in the Old Testament. There's, I really love how interconnected the Bible is. I mean, everything from Genesis to Revelation is so connected. And, and, and I, I heard one professor say it this way. If you wanted to sum the entire Bible down to three words... It can be this, Jesus is Lord, because everything in the Old Testament is, is showing us the history of the world and what Jesus was coming to save and God establishing his promise and his covenant and saying, Jesus is coming. This is Isaiah 53. This is Isaiah 9. Hope is coming. The gift is coming. Messiah is coming. And then the gospels are Messiah is here. And then the rest of the New Testament is here is how we live in light of Jesus coming. This is, this is the gospel in these verses so, so beautifully and so wonderfully. It says this in verse 4. It says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. And we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shears is silent. He opened, he didn't open his mouth. This is painting a picture of someone weak. And the whole expectation is that this should be Messiah king, not Messiah servant. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. This is the gospel. It is the innocent servant dying for the guilty sinners. That's exactly what the gospel means. The gospel is good news. And the good news is this, that, that someone came in our place and served the death penalty that we all deserve. That is the heart of the gospel. See, under law, when Isaiah is prophesying in the Old Testament, you have the law. Under law, sheep died for the shepherd. They would have to go, they, they would kill a lamb, they would kill a young goat. There had, so the sheep would die for the shepherd for their atonement. Under grace, it changes everything because what we have is the shepherd dying for the sheep. That he willingly lays his life down. And these people had a different expectation. They wanted a king. They wanted the authority. They wanted the power. They wanted the, the, the freedom from the oppression. I mean, here you've got, you've got Assyria dealing with it. You've got all these armies coming against them. In the New Testament, when Jesus shows up, the Messiah shows up. They're under the oppression of the Roman Empire. And their, their expectation is that, let, let me just read it to you. It's Psalm chapter 2, verse 7 through 9. This was one of the expectations that that they were building this idea of Messiah King around in Psalm 2, 7 through 9. It says, 
I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like potter's vessels. This is the Messiah they were wanting. This is the Jesus riding in with the army behind him and bringing freedom to everybody and saying, you're good, you're good. I mean, this is kind of a, a, you know, building up in theology. Now, they're getting ahead of it because Jesus will do that. But first, Isaiah is saying this, the Messiah is coming to serve. He's coming, and, and he's not going to perform the way you want him to perform. Jesus didn't come to be everyone else's little God that they, he will do what they, they uh, tell him to do. And so often, we get in a mindset of our relationship with God is it's like, just like some, some cosmic vending machine that if I say the right prayer, if I do the right thing, if I'll, if I'll follow this list of rules, then I punch the button, and out comes what I want. Our expectation when, when Jesus says, I will be your God, we're like, yeah, I want you to be my God that I can fit in my pocket and I can use whenever I want to use. And the expectation is built around this. But, but look, at, look at what has happened here. He took on our grief, our sorrow, our transgressions, our iniquities. And what did we do? We went astray. We've all turned and Jesus was crucified to pay our penalty. What we did not and could not do and perform in holiness, he did it. Look at, look at Romans chapter 8. I, I, love, I love what it says in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to start verse 3. It says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. How? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Why was he crushed? So that we could have redemption, so that we could have righteousness, so that we could be made holy. And what did he do in all of this? Not what they expected. He was silent. I mean, I think about that. There's so many times that, I mean, all of us have had these moments, right? When life gets so heavy, it gets so stressful, the tension is so thick, and you just wish, is there a tap out button? Like, you know, I, I remember growing up and there was a, a commercial for bubble bath, Calgon. Do you remember Calgon? I mean, and the, the whole slogan was, Calgon, take me away, you know? And it's like, is, is, could I just please go run a bubble bath and sit for three or four weeks, you know, and just... Could I just, just get out of this? And there's so many things that we find ourselves in that, that we're like, man, I just, I wish, I wish there was another way. And, and here Jesus is silent. He could have spoken up at any moment. I mean, think about, think about leading up to the cross. I mean, when it's talking about being pierced for our transgressions, that's the nails through his hands, through his feet. That's the thorns through his head. That's the spear through his side. He knows what's coming. I think the physical side of, for what Jesus was about to face was nothing compared to what is spoken here when it says, on him were all our iniquities laid. What does that mean? It means every one of our sins was laid on the perfect sinless one. And he knew in that moment that there's gonna be separation from God because a holy God cannot look upon sin. And he knew that he's taking it for mankind and that he would be separated from his father in the moment where the wrath of God is dealing with our sin. 
So much so was the stress that Jesus had in his life that as he's praying in the garden before this, that he's sweating as drops of blood, the pressure, the intensity. I mean, truly, he's the only one who can say, I feel the weight of the world on my shoulders. And in that moment, all he had to do was call out and say, tapping out, dad. Legions of angels come to his rescue at any second. Yet he stays silent. I think that shows the strength of our Savior greater than anything that we can see in Scripture. Because he bore it himself for us so that we could be made righteous, so that we could be made whole, so that we could be reconciled. And I, I would just challenge us, is, you know, do I have expectations of Jesus on how I want him to perform and I'm a, am I really willing to surrender my expectations of his performance so that he can have his work done in me? Because so often the things that I want him to do for me would probably end up ruining me. And am I truly willing to lay it down and submit it, to follow his role as a servant and say, not my will, but yours be done? And we have, we have all these avenues. We can walk away from God, and we do it. But are we willing to, to, to stand in with him because of what he did for us to say, my life is not about me anymore. It's all about you. Because what happened in this, this Messiah servant, the suffering servant, what happens is it didn't meet the expectations of what he should look like. It didn't fit the expectations for the people on how he should perform. But what it did do is it not only met, but exceeded the standards for our salvation. The Old Testament is very clear that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. Several weeks ago, we taught through Genesis 3. And that first act of sacrifice was, was when God himself covered Adam and Eve with animal skins that got us into the sacrificial system of the Old Testament where a goat or a sheep, a lamb without blemish would have to be sacrificed as an atonement. But what happened on the cross satisfied it once for all. Hebrews says that, that he took it once and he doesn't have to do it again. He does not have to be a continual sacrifice because it satisfied and exceeded the expectations needed for salvation. That's the beauty and the power of God. That's the, that's the hope that we have in Christ. In verse 10 through 12, it talks about this, this resurrection and exaltation, but this is from God's perspective. So I, 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 I want to I I break this down for us a little bit. In verse 10, it says, um, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was... He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring and he shall prolong his days. This prolong his days is referencing his resurrection. Because so many people at the cross, when Jesus breathed his last, they thought, well, there's the end of that guy claiming to be the Messiah. Matter of fact, when Jesus, after his resurrection, was walking on the road to Emmaus, they actually, they said to Jesus, we had hoped he was the one. But for God to say, I've prolonged his days, means the cross was not the end of it. 
and what happened at the cross. Let me, let me give you a, a picture of that in Ephesians chapter 1. And it says this, Ephesians 1, I'm going to start verse 19. He's asking us to know, I'm going to back up to 18, but he says that, that you may know this. And verse 19 says, know this, know what? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also into the one to come. He's saying to know this power, to know this Messiah, to know what happened. That when he prolonged his days, man, Jesus walked out of the tomb on the third day. Everything's finished at that point. He spends 40 days with the disciples preparing them for his ascension. And he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And what is he doing? He's, he's, he's making intercession for us. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But, but he, God prolongs his days when he says he shall see his offspring. A huge uh, 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 shame, act of shame would be for a Jewish man to die without children. Jesus was never married, but yet we see, he says he shall see his offspring. What is that? It's us. It's the church. It's the spiritual family. That he has birth through his death and his resurrection. Verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteousness, and he shall bear uh, their iniquities. So the, the cross brought satisfaction. And, and this, this can sound really dark, right? But it brought satisfaction. And the satisfaction was not in the father seeing his son suffer. The father was pleased. The satisfaction came for the father by seeing his son's obedience to accomplish the plan of redemption. Because this plan was set at the foundation of the world. 1 Peter 1.20 tells us that from the foundation of the world, all this plan was foreknown. That Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Meaning before God, that you have the Trinity saying the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When they said in Genesis, let us make man in our image. They knew then what we were going to do. And they already had a plan. Jesus said, hey, when the time comes, when the fullness of time comes, I'll take it on. I'll deal with it. I'll handle it. That's where the satisfaction comes in. The law was satisfied. And in, in, in 1 John 2, 2, it says this of Jesus, that he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That word propitiation, um, when you pull it out of Scripture, in other religions, it, it, it really breaks down to this, that God is angry and I have to sacrifice something to appease him. And isn't it, isn't it amazing how even following Jesus, we can get that mentality? Like even Christians can get into this mindset of, of, of God's angry with me, so I have to perform better. I have to do these things to make him not angry with me. Well, the, let, me, let me help you with this because in the Christian context, it is so much richer. But I'm gonna tell you this, God is angry. He's angry at the sin. And in his holiness, he judges the sin. But in his love, he desires to forgive us. That's the beauty and the power of the grace at work. Because God will not, God cannot ignore sin and he will not compromise with it, he deals with it. 
And in verse 12, he deals with it. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. What happened, how he dealt with it, was the judge took the place of the criminal. That's how he dealt with it. That he was numbered among the transgressions. And listen, listen. It says that makes intercession for the transgressors. That even in this suffering, even in this pain, even this anguish, this servant that's going to take on this responsibility will be praying for the people abusing him. It takes us to the cross in Luke 23. It says when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And they crucified a criminal on either side. And what does Jesus say? He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And even after he's praying for his abusers and for the transgressors, they're casting lots for his clothes. This is the picture of grace. And there's something interesting because it says, yet he bore the sin of many. That shows us grace, and grace is a love that paid a price. But the price is only appropriated for those who are willing to believe. And my biggest encouragement, the most important thing for us, is to personally know the servant, Messiah, Jesus. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for being the servant. Thank you for being our Messiah, our servant Messiah who conquered sin and death. You took our iniquity, you took our sin, and you opened a way for us to have peace and salvation. Jesus, we need you. We lay our expectations down of how things should look and how things should go. And we just submit ourselves to you. We ask you to be the Lord of our life. And would you lead us with your grace and your mercy and your righteousness into the life that would reflect you the best. And we trust you and we love you. And we pray this. In your highly exalted name, Jesus, amen. Amen. Love you guys.